A very warm welcome to everyone on the Grow and Learn podcast. This is Zorina. Today I'm welcoming Christian de la Huerta, who is a well-acknowledged um, author, best-selling author, award-winning author, TEDx speaker, conference speaker. He's the author. His newest book is called, give me a second, let me find the title, Awakening the Soul of Power. He's also into breathwork. I'm very curious about that. Hi, welcome, Christian. Hi, Zarina. Thanks so much for having me on the show and for the beautiful intro. <laughs> a very warm welcome to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> so where did it all start, Christian? Were you into breathwork first? Were you into... How did you come to the topic of power, soul power? That's a, It's a really good question because I've... I'm, you know, I think I'm an unlikely person to be speaking about personal empowerment and and heroism, because I was painfully shy. Like I know self doubt intimately. I know self hatred, um, and yet using the the you know the the teachings teachings that I share in my book and in my retreats and my coaching programs. Flash forward to today, and and no matter what happens in my life, no matter the details or the circumstances, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't whether a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes, never, ever, ever, ever do I question my sense of self. So I know that if that can be so established and unshakable in me, it can, it can happen to anybody else too. And, you know, I think I've always had, to answer your question uh, directly, I've always had a sense of mission, uh, which kind of got translated in different ways at different points in my time. I grew up in a very Catholic family so growing up, I thought I wanted to be a priest. Um, my dad was a psychiatrist, so I kind of you know, studied psychology. I didn't want to go through the medical school part of it. Uh, but then realized that you know, I was going to try to get a PhD in psychology until I realized that it wasn't enough because psychology, at least the way that it was taught then, um, it was leaving out a huge part of being human, which is the whole spiritual aspect. However you define that. And so when I did my first breathwork session, my very first one, I, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD. And, and I've been offering breathwork as a healing modality for the last uh, 30 years all over the world. And why was that? What happened at this first session? What did you experience that was so life-changing or path-changing? Great question. You know, breathwork is really amazing and it's hard to explain because it's hard to believe that just from breathing, so much healing can happen. And, and I've yet to come across anything that heals past trauma as quickly and as, a, and as effectively and anything that heals at so many levels, like not only emotionally and psychologically, uh, but also spiritually and even physically, which is the hardest one for my skeptical mind to, to, to believe. But I can't argue with results. It works. And it happens. it's happened too many times for me to question it. Um, and in terms of my own experience, it was, it was like, you know, popping out like the, like, like the filters, the, the, the gauze, you know, in front of my eyes fell through and I could see myself in a different way because in addition to the healing that happens, people often have profound experiences of, you know, you know, what are called unitary experiences where you feel connected with all of life, with all of creation. And that's what I had. And it was profound and forever life-changing when you say breath work do you mean deep holot holotropic breathing or is this another modality of breathing 
Is this holotropics called- is, is a different modality. Yeah. They're different. I mean, but breathwork, as you know, is a very large umbrella term. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of breathing practices, a lot of breathing techniques. Anybody who's ever gone to a yoga class, you know, they've, they've done some type of pranayama uh, practice. Uh, the 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 one that I that I did, you breathe for about an hour, an hour and a half. In, in holotropic, you can breathe much longer, like three, four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but the the concept is similar in that it's a it's a continuous connected breath, and amazing stuff happens. Just really truly hard to 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 explain and to believe that just from breathing, all that can happen. Wow. Okay, and so fast forward, it took you, I suppose, some time to come on this path, or how did your life develop? How did you come to write this book? Well, um, I was, you know, as soon as I did the breathwork for the first time, I within a year, I quit my job, my my last corporate job that I had. Um, I sold, you know, my my condo in South Beach in Miami, where I was living at the time. I sold my car, gave away most of my belongings and went off on a spiritual journey. And, you know, I'm still living from that. That was the last job I ever had. Um, and, and, and yet the mission is the same, right? I, I'm still, what drives me is making a difference is, is contributing to, to real human lives in a way that, that can really make sense and, and to free ourselves from, the self-made prison of, of the mind that keeps us in stuck in fear and limitation in victimization and projection, defensiveness. Uh, so with the teachings that, that I share in my retreats and in my books combined with a breath work, it's a really, really powerful combination. Mm-hmm. When you said you went on a spiritual journey, what was the what was the aspect of it uh, that that you found spiritual? Well, I actually joined a, an ashram, a, a spiritual community. I was part of that spiritual community for about five years, mm-hmm. um, which is where I learned a lot of you know what what I'm teaching now. A lot of you know, like even not only concept concepts derived from Eastern teachings, uh, combined with my understanding of psychology more from the Western perspective. Um, and 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 then you know that's where I learned meditation. That's where I learned breath work, um, and I got a lot of practical skills too. You know, like how to create an event, how to produce an event, how to do enrollment for for a weekend retreat. So it was a really valuable experience, and it it also got to the point, Zarina, that the traditional guru disciple relationship, which is kind of hierarchical. Uh, began to interfere with my own growth, with my own transformation. So at some point, it it, it was time for me to move on and and do my own work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mean out of the ashram because this yes. relationship? Okay, I understand. Okay, yeah. great. And now it's all about empowering of the soul. Yeah, yeah, it's about teaching awakening people the soul of power. So yes. the, so power has soul. <laughs> you, know, you can you can it, call it, it spiritual a, power. It's a game um, of words. What does it mean? Spiritual. Yeah, well, you know, okay. let let me zoom out and start by saying that most of us have a, a conflicted or at least ambivalent relationship to power. You know, part of us wants it and part of us is afraid of it. 
And, and I think what we fear, you know, because the more that I dive into this and do retreats and, and talk to people around this issue, I think what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone and, you know, no fun. Who wants that? I think we also fear that we might abuse it. And no wonder how many, how many abuses of power have, have each of us witnessed um, in, in the course of our lives. And all we have to do is turn on the news or read through the headlines on any given day to, to witness at least one abuse of power. Um, and then we've also been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing, you know, with quotes like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And who wants to be corrupted? But what they didn't tell us about that quote is that Lord Acton, who spoke those words, was speaking specifically about political power, mm -hmm. not personal power, mm -hmm. uh, which is what we're talking about. So, And when you add to that mix, the fact that we've, we've been conditioned to 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 talk about the emotions, to look at the emotions and consider them as weakness. We hate conflict. We avoid confrontation. When you put all that together, what happens is that we end up giving away our power, our innate power that nobody can give us, nobody can take away from us. We are the only ones who can give it away. And, and what I find really tragic is the reasons for which we give it away. You know, How many times have each of us said yes when inside? We really feel no. Inside, it's really not okay with us, but to... To we settle for that an illusion of peace or a false sense of security, uh, pseudo acceptance, pseudo love, and and it's not a good strategy because if we're not showing up authentically, um, that's all that we're going to get mirrored back to us. Uh, so there's no way that we're going to have real relationships that have a chance of working. So what this book is about is like how do we step into power in a different way, in in a way that is not hierarchical that it's not about force, domination, uh, manipulation, that doesn't require that we push anybody down, step on them in order for us to feel powerful. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the theme of the book. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's, uh, it's something that I used to call building of character because character is, um, according to some definitions that I've read, um, is a spiritual concept. Some say that your soul is actually your character that you carry uh, throughout lifetimes. It's you come with this character in a way. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that def that way of looking at, at character, but I, I like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, when you were while you were talking about political power, I was also thinking of one study that I remember reading talking about abuse of power being done mostly by uh, males. So that's why they argued that when there are women in uh, boards of companies or in politics, there's much less corruption, much less um, abuse of power, which is only to an extent true, because I can give a lot of examples from recent years of um, instances where women at very high ranks abused power. They were involved in corrupt practices. Um, you make the distinction in your book between women power and men power. How is that different on a soul level? Yeah, at, at the soul level, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't matter. You know, at the soul level, we're beyond the physical and beyond that distinction. And, and all, all humanity, all of creation has masculine and energy and, and feminine energies flowing through us. 
you know, it's only in the in the mind of humanities, as far as we know, where we have created a dichotomy and we have turned the feminine into something less than, into something that's weakness, and which is a really faulty assumption. Because if you want to talk about power, uh, uh, courage, resilience, let's talk about the power of creation that that resides in a female body. Um, and so, what I'm talking about is more energetically. Yeah, it's, it's more about the masculine or feminine expression of powers. And and so the power that we've been talking about is a more patriarchal, you know, more hierarchical. It's sort of, you know, the, the, the cowboy mentality, my way or the highway. Uh, whereas the feminine approach to power is more inclusive. Um, and, and that's what I call spiritual power or soulful power. And, and the book is for everybody, as, as we all struggle with power. Um, and, and as you point to correctly, women also abuse power. Shows up in different ways for the most part. Um, but, but yeah, and, and, but, I, but I target the book, I focus the book specifically for women because I believe that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. Mm-hmm. Not to put women up on a pedestal, not to idealize women, not to give women more crap that they have to do to clean up this mess that we have, we have all made in this planet of ours. It, it, but it's because as a species, as a world, we've been running very off balance between the masculine and the feminine. And, and so I believe, to me, it's like a strategic approach. What is one thing I ask myself that I could focus on that, that will then impact and affect all the other issues that we're, that we're facing? And I think it's the empowerment of women because when women are in 50% of power and we're nowhere near close to that, um, we're going to have a very different relationship to, to war and poverty and hunger and education and social justice and how we treat the environment to all of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. And I think uh, the reason why women have been so... Um, yeah, I would even say suppressed, and to, in a majority of cases suppressed, but at least um, malleable in terms of what they should be thinking and how they should express themselves. It's uh, to a large extent because the nature of women is such that they need protection. They need to operate within a certain boundary that protects them, doesn't stop them, but protects them. Uh, and so that's why not having such a protective boundary in a way um, doesn't allow them to say no, at least this is how I see it. And that's what you said is one of the most important traits to develop, to be able to say no. How does one get the courage to say no? Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, and we're also speaking a lot in generalizations. That, that's and true. Because, because I know women who are fierce warriors, like fierce warriors that nobody's going to mess with. Um, and, and so I don't know that it's an inherent thing uh, about women needing protection. Um, I think, you know, the, at least in, in the last several thousand years of the patriarchy, those, that's kind of the role that, that we have divided into. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have, you know, defined gender roles as, but the, but they're very limited and limiting ways of looking at gender. And we should say, by the way, that, that this, is, this is not about knocking men or, or or criticizing men. Men also pay a price for what we're talking about, for this imbalanced approach to power, for this hierarchical. Um, let's look at a couple of numbers real quick. 
longevity. Like in, in the U.S., you know, where, where I'm emigrated to when we were kids, I'm Cuban-born. Um, women outlive men by five years. Globally, seven years. Mm-hmm. And, and for suicide, I only have numbers for the U.S. In, in the U.S., men commit suicide four times as frequently as women. In fact, 70% of the suicides are committed by middle-aged white men. I have and actually I checked argue, this number in Austria, where I live as well, and uh, it's more or less the same number. I was shocked that the majority of suicides are committed by elderly men who live in isolated villages, so by themselves. It seems isn't that, that interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating because you would think I think it's pretty clear, and and that you can't argue with the fact that the majority of the power in the world is still held by middle-aged white men. Um, and so you would think, well, the, the group that holds the majority of the power should have more privilege, should have, you know, longer and better quality of life. But no, something is not working. Something is off, um, both in terms of longevity and suicide. And I think it's because this limited way of looking at what it means to be a man, that we've we've gotten this, this definition and this idea that a man has to walk around like this uncaring, unfeeling robot. Mm-hmm. And there's a price to pay for that, right? Because, and, and this connects back, back to the original conversation about breath work. What, what used to be spiritual teaching, that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics, it's all energy. This table that's, that's holding up my computer, the computer, the chair that I'm sitting on, the body, the emotions, it's all energy. Even when it seems solid, it's vibration. Energy, we know from physics, cannot be destroyed. So, all those countless times that we have swallowed and stuffed our emotions because we were afraid, we didn't want to rock the boat, we, did, we feared rejection, we, we hate conflict, all those reasons, those emotions don't just disappear. They get lodged in, in, in the body, in the tissues of the body. And after years and, a de- and decades and a lifetime of suppressing emotions, we walk around with layers and layers and more layers of repressed emotional crap and unresolved Past trauma. Yikes. Then we're, we're here, we are trying to have a relationship and all of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of suppressed emotions that we start dumping on each other and projecting on each other. Yikes. And, and so that energy has to come out one way or another. And, and the way it works is like, you know, we suppress, suppress, suppress. And then the next poor, unfortunate soul says something to us the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption. Or Suppress, 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 suppress. And those energies have to move. They have to come out and they start seeping out as physical symptoms, Mm. cancer, heart attacks, ulcers. So we got to get this. We got to figure out our relationship to our emotions and our relationship to power and find ways of expressing it that are a match for who we are. So when it comes to men, is there a difference in how they come in control of their soul power or is it basically the same principle? I think the principle is the same. You know, the, the conditioning is different. So, mm-hmm. so there are different, challenge, different challenges. Um, and, and, and the process is beginning, to me, the beginning point is like beginning to figure out what we believe about power. Because the, the saddest thing in all this is that we're driven, uh, like we don't even know why we do the things we do. 
So, so we're being, our behavior is being controlled by, by stuff that happened when we were kids that we haven't even processed or resolved. And, and something happened and we took on a belief about ourselves that, that there was something wrong with us. We're not good enough. We don't deserve to be loved. Like, you know, maybe the parents got divorced and those little minds that didn't know any better personalized it and made it about them. It's like, well, doesn't daddy love me? How come mom left me? And, and what's wrong with me? And, and none of it is true. You know, these are just misunderstandings of young minds that didn't know any better. So, so the process, like Carl Jung, the psychologist, said that the process of enlightenment is allowing the subconscious to become conscious. Um, because then we can make choices about, about what we do and what we believe and how we relate to others from a pace, place of fear or choice, not because of some something that happened to us that sometimes we didn't even remember um, and the choices that we made consequently. Uh, so the process begins by by going within and, and figuring out our relationship to power um, and why we do the things we do. What triggers us? When do we react? Well, because the things that, that you, that trigger you are going to be different than the, the things that trigger me. And, and when, you know, what, in what kind of relationships do we tend to give our power away? So, you know, is it mostly with authority figures? Is it in romantic, intimate relationships? So, so by becoming more self-aware of why we do the things we do, then we can make clear choices rather than just go through our life reacting to subconscious stuff that we're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, quite understood on a logical level. The question is, um, how to access, how, what method you use to access the subconscious mind? Because I personally train people and practice myself a variation of, of the silver method. So I'm aware of, you know, methods to release trauma. And according to what I'm practicing, you still need to access the subconscious mind. Do you do this through breath work? Or how do you, what, what does your book say or how does it help people to do it themselves do they need to learn breath work or some methods to clear these traumatic experiences first i think it's a two-pronged approach um one is cognitive and by the way I, the silva method is the first thing that i learned when i was like 17 18 yeah it's uh, one of the first methods that ever came around uh, yeah, to yeah. access your mind yeah as a conscious yeah mind. yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so yeah it is about training the mind um, and becoming more conscious of how the mind works. So in, in this book and in my retreats, the, I always start, like I do a lot of retreats on a lot of different themes, empowerment, women's empowerment, um, life purpose, conscious relationships, how to do relationships in a way that they can really work. Mm-hmm. Um, and But common to all of them are two things. One is the breath work, because mm-hmm. I have yet to come across anything that heals as quickly and as profoundly and in so many different ways. Yeah. The other is, is it's a cognitive understanding of how the mind works. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have time to really dive into what the ego mind is here. There's, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the world about what the ego is. You know, those of us who know the word, we might think arrogance, inflated sense of self. And it is that for sure, but it's so much more than that. And then maybe if we took Psych 101 in college, um, we might think, oh, Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the superego. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. The, the way that I teach the ego is more derived from Eastern teachings. And it's, and it's more about that sense of individual separate, separate personality. Mm-hmm. This is Christian over here. That's Zarina over there. Ultimately, you can say it's an illusion 
of separation and both a helpful illusion and the source of all our suffering. Um, and, and so here's a, a great visual for, for us to really get what the ego is. If you put a, a football in, in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And, and we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of us to think that it is all of us and to make choices, like really important, critical, consequential choices about our life and what we do and in our relationships from its very small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. So part of my work too is, is about helping us to, to shift that identity from the baseball or the football into the stadium and to re-identify as the stadium. And, and so, and then the breath work comes in to really help clear the past trauma. That, that's where the, the real clearing happens is, is through the breath modalities. Mm -hmm. But it's great. The understanding is needed, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, you need to understand it first logically and that experience. Can you share a, a bit, um, uh, a few cases or clients that you've had or people that have joined your retreats? Um, what are some of the changes that you've observed in their lives, in their personalities? Oh, my God, so many. So many dramatic, dramatic, like, you know, miraculous, for lack of another word, changes. Like, mm -hmm. here's one that I was just text texting with earlier today. So she pops into mind. Really successful woman, probably in her 50s when she came to me. Vice president, like, but serious vice, vice president, not, not like vice president of a bank that there's one in, in every branch. This is like a global um, vice president of, of a multinational corporation super successful in that level and yet in another aspect of her life sorely she was sad she had never had a real relationship um and so she ended up coming to a couple of my retreats and doing multiple breathwork sessions she began to have the sense that she had been molested sexually molested as a, as a kid mm -hmm. And then the deeper that we do, the more that she started making connections. She had actually moved back into that town of her, of her, you know, where she, when she was a kid and realized that she was living like three blocks down from where her pediatrician, who was the perpetrator, lived. So like subconsciously, she had gone back to solve, to resolve this for herself. And long story short, you know, we went through multiple sessions of her becoming more and more aware about what happened. And in the very last session of one of the weekend retreats, she had this awareness that she had been, you know, keeping herself in this dark room because she had been getting something out of it, right? She had, she, she had to that young little mind that didn't know any better that having, she felt special from the attention that the pediatrician had given her. And so once she let that go and let herself out of the, the room, like everything shifted. That was on a Sunday. On Tuesday, she was talking to, speaking to a friend of hers who said, huh, I don't know why I hadn't connected this before, but you need to meet my friend so-and-so. They had lunch, you know, like two weeks later. Long story short, I married them. And <laughs> they've been in this amazing relationship. Wonderful. Um, and, 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 and it goes to show like, you know, there's one of the, the, the premises of my relationship work is paraphrasing the, the Course of Miracles that says that it's not our job to look for love. 
but to look within ourselves for the obstacles to love. Mm -hmm. How are we keeping love at bay? How are we attracting people um, who are not a match and subconsciously sabotaging our relationships before we even get going? Mm -hmm. um, you know, or falling for people, people who are not available. Um, so that's part of what we're talking about, you know, becoming aware of why we do the things we do. And once we do that, once we clear those obstacles, then, you know, life works better. Uh, relationships have a chance of working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I concur to everything you said. And I fully understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. At your retreats, how many breath works do you breath work sessions do you normally have? And um, do people need to continue with this process afterwards? You know, my, my retreats depend. Sometimes they're weekend retreats, um, like Thursday to Sunday. So we do four sessions in those. Sometimes I'll do like, um, you know, I'll take, I take people um, to, to beautiful places, always with a spiritual, sort of like a, like a vacation with intention. Mm -hmm. So if, if a retreat and a vacation get married and had a child, it's sort of a hybrid of those. Uh, so, you know, taking people to Ecuador and Peru and Southern France and Hawaii, Egypt, um, New Mexico. Um, and, and so those are longer. So sometimes we can do, you know, four, five, six uh, se uh, breathwork sessions. And, and they do have a cumulative effect when you do them back to back. Mm -hmm. and, and in terms of your other question, you know, I had people that came to just a, an introductory evening. They had one breathwork session and it changed their lives. Um, and then I have, to me, it's like, peeling layers of an onion so that the more you, you know, the more you do it, the deeper you go. Mm -hmm. And and then when, when you, I mean, there is an end to all the crap that we have suppressed. So that's where the cognitive part comes in too, is learning how to express these emotions courageously, because it's always going to take courage to express mm -hmm. how we're feeling. And, and, and that also entails becoming aware of what we're feeling. Because if you would have asked me 30 years ago what I was feeling, I had no idea. I couldn't tell you. Um, and, and so expressing it not only courageously, but responsibly owning that there are emotions and that nobody can make us feel anything. If we don't have that original wound in there that gets triggered by somebody's behavior. Um, and again, this is not about rationalizing or, or, or explaining away anybody's behavior. It's not about that, but, but it's not about them. It's about our freedom and, 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 and then how to communicate those emotions gracefully in a way that they can be heard and received. So it's, it's, again, going back to that combination between the, the somatic, deep level healing work that breath work is, is an expression of, and then the cognitive understanding of why we do the things we do. Yeah. When, when people do breath work, they release the trauma. Is there something, is there, according to the theory and the pra your practice of breath work, is there a gap that needs to be filled with an alternative emotion to replace mm. this? concept or do you leave it and let it fall into place? I think that's a great question. Um, I think, I mean, I think in, especially in my retreats and, and even like a day-long workshop, what, what we're filling that stuff with is where it's, and, and this is again what part, where part of the cognitive understanding comes in, like once we, we heal at the source, you know, like say, let's say somebody who's got really poor uh, self-esteem issues or, you know, they lack self-confidence, um, which I totally relate to. 
uh, power. So it's it's not even if you have a breathwork session and you go back to the core experience that caused that, um, it's great and and you've actually cleared it. But there's the, we also have to consider then that it's been years and decades of conditioning and and developing a lot of habitual behavior. Um, so a lot of patterns that are not just going to go away overnight, even though the original source um, event got cleared. So again, that's the combination of both. It's like learning different ways of expressing. And, and a lot of it comes from understanding the ego and how the ego behaves, and then finding ways of expressing, like for example, our, our desires, what we like, what we don't like, setting up, you know, putting, putting into place healthy boundaries in a way that's not reactive, in a way that's not accusatory, um, in, in, in a, in a, from, coming from a place that we own responsibility for um, everything in our lives. And, and that may be the, the most difficult thing that, that I've discovered in, in this process of you know, working with people and supporting them in their transformational process is letting go of the victim, the victim mortality, uh, mentality and because because as long as we're holding somebody you know whether it's mom or dad or the teacher or the minister um or society or something you know the, the racism homophobia sexism misogyny and it's not to deny that those things don't exist they do and it's not to rationalize away what people did or failed to do it's not about that it's 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 because the only choice is like life. The only thing we know for sure is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way. That we can count on. That we don't have a choice about. But what we always, always have a choice about is how we show up in response to that stuff, in response to the curveballs, and and even reframing it in that way, pops us out of that victim consciousness. But it's tough. It's tough because it's a lot easier to, to blame our state of being because of something that happened or something that didn't happen or because the system isn't set up fairly. Um, and that's why I, I, it's, I know it's very difficult. And in fact, I think it's nothing short of heroic. Mm. Um, and that's why this book is part of a series of, of three books. And the series is called Calling All Heroes. Some people that I've uh, interviewed previously, I mean, everybody has a, a different way to call a process. They, they see it a bit differently, how to heal trauma and uh, some states. And also what I practice uh, with the silver method trauma clearing is also that you need to replace um, a certain complex of image and emotion with an alternative so that you don't leave it empty. Um, now, I I understand that the habits still remain. Um, and there was somebody whom I rec uh, recently interviewed, Rebecca Whitman. And, uh, Whitman, and when I asked her uh, specifically about that, what about all these groove ways, so you're, the habits, basically, your, your energy flows a certain way, you're used to acting and reacting a certain way, even though the pain is gone and the image is gone, the cause. Yes. The cause. And, and she says, well, sometimes there's this uh, quantum leap. Have you observed this, that there's a quantum leap and people suddenly change their whole mindset? That's true, too. I have. I have witnessed that. Yeah. 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 Which is which is why I kind of held myself back from making a, a real general statement about that. I think for the most part, 
it is important and 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 it's part of finding you know replacing patterns with healthier patterns or at least ways new ways of looking at ourselves and that's where my teachings of the ego come in right so we stop identifying as the little football and we start re-identifying as 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 the as the stadium which has a whole different way of being mm-hmm. um and and i've seen that happen really quickly sometimes and you know, some, sometimes one of those experiences in, in breathwork can totally shift the way that we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed too, like, you know, people who come to my retreat, um, which I'm just now starting to do live events again, because even though we needed to be breathing during the pandemic, we couldn't be breathing together in a room, mm-hmm. in the same room. And, but what I've noticed over the years is that people would then have come to a weekend and have this incredible expansion shift the way they saw themselves and and the, the way they saw life and when they went back home if they didn't have a support system practice um a system of accountability to keep themselves you know going for what they said they wanted it's easy it's not hard to 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 get sucked back into the demands and the responsibilities and the distractions of day-to-day life yeah. And then, you know, the, pretty soon those old voices of fear and self-doubt would start sneaking up again and dragging them down and they'd have to come to another retreat. Um, what I'm grateful to the pandemic for, one thing that I am, and without, you know, minimizing the tragic aspects of it, is that for me, my, you know, th- after 30 years of doing retreats, I couldn't. Um, my income came to a screeching halt. Um, you know, I remember the last retreat that I did. Um, in 2020. And so it forced my hand to do what I know I'd known for years that I needed to do, which was to develop virtual on online programming, because not everybody's going to be able to come to one of my weekend retreats. So that's what I did. So now I'm starting to do the retreats again with the breath work. And one thing that I'm really appreciating about this, I I developed a year long coaching program. What I'm really appreciating, appreciating about it is that I get to stretch out the teachings over the course of, the, of a year. Deliver it bite-sized. I know how busy everybody is. So weekly content, but with diff- two different things that I'm not able to do on a weekend retreat. One is interactivity. So along with a weekly content, which is derived from my books, um, come practices that are designed to integrate the teachings so that they, they don't stay at the level of great ideas, right? We don't need more information. What we need, we've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that only comes from like really taking on and living from a set of teachings. And that, that's what those power practices are designed to do. The other thing that I'm able to do in a year-long program is put in a system of accountability. So coaching calls with me every two weeks. Um, and in, in between, they also they get, they get together in smaller groups or you know, call them power pods. And the whole thing is to to be both supportive and keep us accountable doing what we said we want to do. Um, and, and what I've noticed, Arena, is that it's making the transformation much more sustainable, stretching it out of a, over the course of a year because we're going through our lives and crap is coming up and challenges and you know, relationship stuff and stuff at work. And we get to handle it in real life in these coaching calls in real time. Can people join at any time or is there a starting date? Like, do you have certain date for intakes? Yes. Yeah. We're doing intakes now. The next one starts in January. 
and it has it's 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 a it's a journey right we take them on the same journey so and it's live you know where the calls with me are live so we you can't just you know it has a, an actual beginning and, a, and an actual end yeah mm -hmm. um so yeah but we're taking coaching calls i mean we're taking um inter in, interview calls now for people who might be interested and wh where can people um get in contact with you what is your website my website is soulfulpower.com s-o-u-l-f-u-l power p-o-w-e-r.com mm -hmm. and i'm not sure when this, when this is going to be aired but we do like every two months we do three uh, master classes to give people a sense of of the work and it and even if they just come to the mouth to the master class uh, they'll get enough value that that will shift some significant aspect in the way that they see themselves fantastic Christian thank you so much um is when is your next retreat when is, and where <laughs> the next live retreat is in live northern retreat. California so north mm -hmm. of San Francisco and it's the November 30th through December 3rd mm -hmm. so three days three days Th yeah Thursday night and we part ways on Sunday afternoon mm-hmm and there's information about this retreat also on your website. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. This was a very interesting conversation. I'm going to look more into uh, in depth into breath work. <laughs> I'm curious now. <laughs> Good. I can't recommend it highly enough. And one thing that I'll add is that it can be ecstatic. Like not only like the main reason to do it is the healing effects, but it can be ecstatic. Um, and, and some of the experiences can be like profound inner peace. Uh -huh. um, and, and so thank you and thank you so much for having me on the show and thanks for having the show um, because I know in your in your willingness to do that many lives are being touched and, and impacted so thank you thank you thank you also for the kind words <laughs> I, I hope so yes <laughs> great thank you thank you Christian and good luck with um, all the programs and the good that you're spreading in the world Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.